uh, verses 39 to 46. Good to have everyone here this morning, and I hope you're excited to be in the house of God. I know when it's uh, sometimes dreary outside, sometimes our spirit can also become a little bit dreary, but uh, I hope that you've come in this morning with an excited spirit, despite what the weather is, no matter what the weather is, no matter how your week ended, I hope that you're excited about starting your week in God's house this morning. And uh, when we come with that kind of excitement, then God usually uh, begins to speak to us. And really, uh, I love being able to come to a church where people are excited about God's Word, excited to worship God, and excited to grow in their spiritual life. And and whenever you do that, uh, God begins to work. God does uh, His work in us individually, but then God will do His work corporately as well as a church. And so... We're very excited, and I hope you're excited to be here this morning. Luke chapter 22, we're going to be starting another series this morning called The Journey to the Cross. Journey to the Cross, and it's just going to be these next three weeks as we uh, build our way to, of course, celebrating Easter, the, the biggest day of the year for a Christian, because our faith is based on that one truth that Jesus defeated death, uh, that Jesus resurrected from the grave. And, and uh, the Apostle Paul said, we have hope because of that, because of that one event. And so we're very excited this morning as we're building up to Easter to be studying and following this journey with Christ as he goes to the cross. So this morning is that first step in this journey, and we're going to find that in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to verse number 30. Uh, 46, 39 to verse number 46. And why don't we do this? Why don't we stand this morning? Uh, and that'll give us hopefully a little bit out of our dreariness. Go ahead and stand if you will. And uh, we're going to read God's word uh, this morning. I'll read. You can follow along. And uh, Luke chapter number 22. And uh, if you don't have your Bible this morning, you can follow with the screens. The screens will have the verses this morning as you can follow that way as well. Uh, by the way, before we read that, if you have not received your notes this morning, you still need notes for the message, you can raise your hand and uh, the ushers will try to see that hand and that way they'll bring you uh, uh, the notes, the bulletin with the notes in there. And that way together we study God's word, together we'll grow as we see what God's word says in this passage. Luke 22, verse number 39, it says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. And, and Father, as we, as we prepare to study your word even this morning as we, as we journey with you to the cross. I, I pray that first of all, we would be ready and willing to receive your word this morning. 
In fact, your word teaches us that whosoever will hear, let him hear. And this morning we are here to receive from you. Father, there's nothing that I have of my own self to say to your people this morning. There's nothing that I have within my own self that would be of a help this morning. But Father, your word is that truth that is a shield and buckler. Your word is that truth that can sustain us, that that truth that can help us and strengthen us. And so this morning we come to you, looking to you for wisdom, looking to you for guidance, looking to you for truth. So I pray that you would fill me with your spirit this morning. Help me to share what you've laid on my heart with clarity. Help me to do it, Father, in a way that would challenge your people and encourage your people. And may we take the next few moments that we have today to grow in your word. May your spirit fill me and fill our hearts this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Well, the greatest work that Jesus would ever do on this earth was accomplished at the cross of Calvary. The greatest challenge he would ever face in his earthly ministry and in his earthly life was going to be at Calvary. The greatest sorrow and the greatest pain that he would ever have to endure on this earth was going to be through Calvary, through the cross that he was to bear. It was the greatest journey that he would make in his earthly ministry and in his earthly life. Yet in making this journey, the Lord Jesus Christ left us, his disciples, an example on how exactly we can accomplish what God has called us to do. You see, the journey in Christ's life, he said, I have come to do this. I have come to lay down my life for my friends. I have come that others might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus knew from the very time and the very moment that he came to this earth that he came to die. And as he was making his journey to that, to that event, we find that he leaves an example for us. In fact, he leaves an example that we can follow after. The author in Hebrews says that Jesus is our ultimate example. He is the one that went before us to show us the way. And so this morning as we follow this passage, we want to see the example that Jesus left as he was the night before going to go to Calvary. On this journey as he was going to go to the event where he would endure more pain than he had ever endured and face the greatest challenge he, had ever, uh, he was ever going to face and uh, had to do the greatest work he was ever going to do, he leaves us this example. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said, A man's life is more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice but they reject his preaching. Christ was not one that just spoke about what it means to endure pain. He wasn't one that just talked about getting through and persevering. He was one that did it himself in his life. You see, though Jesus Christ was 100% God while he was here on this earth, he was also 100% man. And everything he did, he did in a body just like yours and mine. One that felt pain. One that was limited uh, by the limitations that we have. And in fact, Philippians chapter 2 says that he endured and was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. There in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that he laid down some of his glory to take upon himself flesh of men. And so that all that Christ did on this earth, is an example for you and me to say, we can also do that. All that God has called us to do, just like he had what Christ was to do in his earthly ministry, God has called you and I to do something in this earth for him. And that can only be accomplished by following the example that Jesus left us. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a context here in Luke chapter 22. This is the night before Jesus will be crucified. They have just finished celebrating the Passover supper with his disciples. And after singing a hymn that night at the supper table, they, they leave that place where they were at and they go to a garden called Gethsemane. It's located on a mountain just outside of the city of Jerusalem known as the Mount of Olives. 
And there, there's a place where Christ would go often to pray. Here, before the cross, we find him praying to his Father. And it is through prayer that he prepares himself for the journey that he is about to embark on, not only that night, but the rest of that day. The journey to the cross of Calvary. And you find that right before that day, he enters into a time of prayer. It is through prayer that Jesus will be able to fulfill his Father's plan. The plan of redemption for mankind. So as we study this passage, we're going to study that prayer. That time of prayer. Because you see, prayer is such an important part of the Christian life. Sometimes we, we, we look at prayer as just, just something that we do before we eat. Oh, i got to pray for my food. But, you know, prayer is so much more than just asking God to bless our food. Prayer is that vital discipline in the Christian life that allows us to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in our life. And so Jesus, as our ultimate example, begins to teach us about prayer. Teach us about how important prayer it is when doing what God has called you to do. This morning, I want to look at three aspects of prayer that we find here in Luke chapter 22 that will prepare us this morning for the journey that God has called us to do. Notice, if you will, first of all, this morning, the place of prayer, the place of prayer. It says there that he came out and went in verse 39 as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. Notice this morning, Jesus leads his disciples to the garden that is his place of prayer. Can I say, first of all, it was a common place for him. There in verse 39, it says, as he was wont. That means as he was accustomed to do. It was something that was a common practice in his life. You see, the garden was a place that he would go often. It wasn't uncommon for the Lord to take his disciples there. Sometimes he would go uh, together with his disciples to the Mount of Olives. Sometimes he would go by himself. You look in John chapter 7, verse 53. It says, and every man went unto his own house. Jesus had just finished a whole day of ministry. He had been talking to the people and it came to a point in his life where now everyone was going home. And it's unfortunate there in our Bibles that they decided to break up the chapter from chapter 7 to chapter 8 right there after that verse. Because sometimes I think we miss the picture. After all of that ministry, working and healing people and, and being there for people and encouraging people and lifting up people, Jesus is now at the end of his day. I'd imagine he was tired. I'd imagine that uh, he was ready to, to go and, and have a time of rest. But notice that nobody offered to bring them to their home. Jesus told one of a potential follower that wanted to follow him, he said, well, are you willing to leave everything? Are you willing to leave your home? He said, because the foxes and the birds have holes and nests where they dwell, but the Son of Man has no, nowhere where he can lay his head. And Jesus said, I have nowhere to go. Most of his earthly ministry was because, where he lived was because people would come and bring them into their home. Much of what Jesus had to endure while he was on this earth was, was the fact of just being there and and dependent on people to, to bring them into their home for shelter and for food. And as he waited on the Father to provide 
that there were times where no one would bring them in or bring him in. And in John chapter 7 at the end, it was one of those times. It says, and every man went unto his own house. Then chapter 8 verse 1 says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. You see, it was something common in Jesus' life that though everybody had left and gone to their homes to rest and relax, and though he had no home of his own, he made the Mount of Olives his place. That place, that common place where he would go and pray. Where he would go and take time to speak with his father. Luke 21, there in your notes, verse 37. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. And at night, he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. You find that over and over as you read the Gospels that Jesus many times would go to the Mount of Olives. And just have there a place of prayer. A place that was common in his life. Can I say this morning that in our life, we ought to have a place of prayer that is common. It ought to be a common practice in our life to go to our Father and speak to Him. Whether it's been a good day or a bad day, a good week or a bad week, whether people are mounting praise on you or whether they're mounting criticism about you, there ought to be a common place and a common practice in your life to say, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. You see, in this journey that we call the Christian life, it is prayer that is going to help you to get through those times of being alone. It's those times of prayer that you make common in your life where God begins to work and to speak. Where God begins to empower you for what He's called you to do. In Jesus' life, we find that He had a common place of prayer. But it was not only a common place, it was a quiet place place you see the scriptures teach us there and tell us in verse 41 that when he was withdrawn from his disciples he went about a stone's cast he went I don't know how many feet that might be maybe 50 or 100 feet away from them and just got in a quiet place to pray knowing what he was about to endure and knowing to where he was going He took time to get into a quiet place of prayer. It was a place away from all the business of ministry with his disciples. It was away from all of the teaching, all the distractions of the day. He just wanted to get to a quiet place where he could spend time alone. You know, in your life, my life, our prayer ought to be a time when it's just quiet with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that every time we pray has to be in a quiet place. I I hope that when you get to a restaurant and the food is served to you, that you take some time to pray there publicly for the food and thank God for the food. And there are times when public prayer is important. We come to the house of God and and every service we come and and we take time to pray. We we pray before the service starts. We pray as the service ends. We pray before the offering. We, We just take time to pray. And we do it publicly, and it's a good practice to have. But it should not be the only time that we pray in our life. It should not only be in times of public worship that we are praying. There ought to be a time and in a place where it's just quiet. Where you can allow the Spirit of God to begin to work and speak to you in a more personal way. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, while He was here on the earth in His earthly ministry, took time 
just in a quiet place to pray. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. He said, Just be still and know that I am God. You know, when you can get alone with God in a quiet place, it's easy to begin to pour out your heart to God. It's easy to, be, to begin to, to let God know what it is that you're feeling. What it is that you're struggling with. What it is that you need Him to do. So important, get into a place of prayer in your life. A place where it's a common practice that you do every day. But a place that is quiet where it's just you and God. And I say, if you're going to do what God has called you to do in the journey that you're going that we call the Christian life, and it's unique to your life. If you're going to continue on this journey, you're going to need to have a place of prayer. But not only a place of prayer do we find, but we also find the purpose in his prayer. Jesus, as he goes, a stone's cast away and takes that time to be alone and be in that place of quietness with his father, we find the purpose for doing so. The purpose for why he is praying. I want you to notice there in verse number 42 that he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, the first purpose of Christ's prayer was to submit his will to that of the Father's. Oh, how difficult that prayer must have been. You see, the cup that he is speaking about there is known as the cup of wrath. In the Old Testament, you'll find many times that the cup was a symbol of the wrath of God. In Isaiah, he would preach many times and prophesy and tell the people of Israel, listen, the wrath of God, the, the, the cup of his fury will be on you if you continue in the way that you are going. And what Jesus is praying about there in the Garden of Gethsemane is the fact that there's a cup of fury. God's judgment and wrath is about to be upon him. And he takes time to pray and to say, Father, if there's any way that you can move this cup from me, could you do it? You see, Jesus knew that in just a matter of hours he was going to be beaten and spit upon. He was going to get mocked and scourged with a whip. And he was going to feel the pain as they hit him over and over and over again. He knew the pain that was coming, the sorrow that he was going to endure. He knew the cross that he was going to take. And he said, if, if Father, if that cup of wrath can be moved, would you move it? And yet knowing knowing the journey that he was on, he says in his prayer, but not my will, let thine be done. You see, prayer is, a, prayer is an important practice and discipline in our life because it is in prayer that we submit our will to God's. Many times the reason we don't live the Christian life in a victorious manner is because we're not willing to submit to God's will. 
We're not willing to say bye to my desires and my wishes and my wants. We're not willing to just put them in God's hands. We, we want God to bless our plans. And we say, God, this is my desire. But, but very seldom do we stop and say, God, but what is your desire? I know this is what I want to do, but God, is this what you would have me to do? It is in that quiet place of prayer that the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to your heart. To guide you, to move you, to speak to you as to where it is that you are to go. You find that Jesus was taking time in prayer to submit his will. James chapter 4 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Prayer is all about submitting our will to his will. There we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus takes time to pray, the purpose of his prayer is to submit his will to his Father's will. But it's also to strengthen his resolve. To strengthen his resolve. You see, Jesus is not only submissive in his prayer, but he's also strengthened by his prayer. You'll notice there in verse number 43, it says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. To do the will of his father, Jesus knew he was going to need more strength. As he was there in the agony of his prayer, we find that he was looking for strength from above. And in that time of prayer, God strengthened him. The father looking down at his son gave him the strength that he was praying and pleading for. You know, prayer is the secret to spiritual power in our life. If you're lacking power to do God's will in your life, to live right and to do right. Can I say what you're lacking is prayer. It's prayer. Many times the lack of fulfilling God's will in our life is just a lack of prayer in our life. I like what Psalm 68, 28 says. I believe it's in your notes. He said, thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God is saying, if you just come to me in prayer, you'll find the strength that you need to do all that I am calling you to do. God has some wonderful things planned for this church, but we'll never get it done if we don't go to Him in prayer. God has some magnificent plans for your life, for your family's life, but you'll never be able to accomplish them without the power of prayer in your life. You see, the purpose of why we come to God in that quiet place is to find strength from above. If you've walked any length of time in the Christian life, you know that it's tiring. You know that it's difficult. There are times where you just want to quit. Where you don't want to be in the house of God. And you don't want to be in the word of God. And you don't want to hear the preaching of God's word. 
All you want to do is quit. And the Christian life is like that. It's a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult journey. There were people that followed Christ that the moment that he stopped doing miracles of feeding them all the time, they stopped following him. There was others that when the road began to get very difficult, that they weren't willing to leave all and follow him. That's why he had to turn to his disciples in John chapter 6 and say, will you also leave? But Peter, I believe, being filled with the Spirit, said, where else can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter recognized that in Christ, in Christ is where he was going to find what he needed to move forward. He was going to find the power to deny himself, to take up his cross, and to follow him. You see, it's in prayer that we find the strength that we need to do God's work. I'm wondering this morning, where is it that you're finding power? Are you hoping to find power in the fact that you're doing something? Well, I'm plugged into this ministry, Pastor. I'm already helping in a class, or I'm already working in this different ministry of the church. I'm already playing in the orchestra. I'm already, I'm already doing something like that. Let me tell you something. You can play in the orchestra every week and never have God's power in your life. Playing in the orchestra never brings God's power. Just serving God in a classroom or, or serving God in that, in that form or fashion doesn't bring God's power into your life. The only source of power that we're going to find is going to be through prayer. Through submitting our will to God's will, to finding His strength to do what only He can do. We find Jesus here on His journey. Stopping at the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of his prayer. We find him praying with the purpose of submitting his will. With the purpose of gaining strength from his Father. But then I want you to notice lastly this morning the persistence of his prayer. Persistence is defined as the firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Jesus knew that he was about to go into opposition. The disciples that were there to be a support and an encouragement to him, instead of being that, they were asleep just a few feet away. Instead of their praying and doing as he asked them to do, to pray and not fall into temptation, the Bible said they were so sorrowful, perhaps they were also exhausted about the day and, and the news that Jesus had just told them that that very night there was going to be one to come and betray him. And he said, I want you to know tonight someone, one of you will be, betray me. And that news must have been so sorrowful to their ears. And yet, in that sorrow, instead of going to God for strength, they're there asleep. They weren't persistent. They weren't continuing in that opposition. They had fainted and fallen asleep. But we see Christ as he was there persistent in his prayer. In fact, when you compare the gospel stories, whether it's in Matthew and Mark and John, you'll find that at least three different times Jesus went, prayed and came back and woke his disciples up. And said, guys, don't, don't fall asleep. Pray. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Pray because my hour is coming. 
Pray for me. And then he would go back. And again, pray to his father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But then he had to submit and say, God, not my will, but thine be done. And then go back and find his disciples, those that were his closest friends, those that he loved dearly, asleep again. At least three times being persistent with that prayer, trying to get his disciples to pray with him. Find Jesus modeling that persistence of prayer. Even in his darkest hour, in that place of agony, we see him in prayer. We find that it says in verse 44, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And I say, if we're going to be persistent in prayer, we ought to pray with earnestness. That word earnestness means intensity. And Jesus wasn't just kind of mindlessly saying and repeating some words as he spoke to his father. But he was intense about it. Passionate about what he was praying to his father. In other words, it wasn't just, hey father, if this, if this can pass, just let it pass. It wasn't like that. I mean, it was an intensity saying, God, father, if you can pass this cup from over me. It was with earnestness that he was praying. Under all the stress, the intense stress, in fact, it was so much. The Bible says there that he began to sweat great drops of blood. Medical journals have told us that when a human being is under great duress and stress, that the, the capillaries in our heads can burst and, and begin to sweat actual blood through our brow. Jesus was under that kind of intense stress, seeing the journey that his father had placed him on and the plan of his father to die on a cross and take upon him sin, sin that was not his. He was going to become sin for us. He that knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God. And he's there praying with intensity. We find that it begins to pray in earnest. You know, prayer ought to be a time in which we're intensely persistent in our resolve to do God's will. I wonder how many of us wake up in the morning and say, God, I want to do your will today. I, I don't know what plans you have. I don't know what challenges I'm going to face. But God, I want to do your will today. You see, he didn't just ask that once, but at least three times. Someone has said that every Christian failure is a prayer failure. Many times we don't pray as earnestly as we should. I don't have time this morning, but you can read it on your own in Luke chapter 18. As Jesus shares the story of this widow that was very persistent with a judge. And this judge who didn't fear God and didn't regard man answered her petition and said, I'm going to do what she asked because she's just so persistent in asking me. See, that's what earnestness is. That persistent intensity in prayer. And then I want you to notice lastly that our persistence in prayer ought to lead us to give encouragement to others. 
The Lord Jesus comes back to his disciples one final time. He's finding them sleeping. In a time when he needed them most, he was there sleeping. And it's amazing to me that he doesn't revile them. He doesn't rebuke them and say, man, you guys are the most sorry disciples to ever follow me. I thought you were my friends. How come you're not as closely and as earnestly praying as I am? He didn't sit there and judge them, but he encouraged them. Like what he says in verse 46, he says, hey, why are you guys sleeping? Pray, pray that you don't fall into temptation. This is not a time to sleep, disciples. This is a time to be in prayer. If I can say something and challenge you with something this morning, can I say we live in days that don't need less prayer, but we need more prayer in our life. Our churches need more prayer. Our families need more prayer. Let me say, you and I in our Christian life need more prayer. Having that time of prayer isn't a, an opportunity to puff up our spiritual ego and say, well, look how much I pray. How much do you pray? But rather, it ought to lead us to encourage one another to pray. I imagine that after the first time of finding his disciples in that manner, that Jesus went back and Scripture doesn't record all of his prayer. It only records a little bit of it. But I imagine that on his mind and on his heart, he was praying for his disciples. Praying, Lord, the opposition is almost here. My hours almost come. Strengthen them. They're, they're going to forsake me now, but help them afterwards to follow after you. He told Peter, in fact, just a few hours earlier, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as sweet. But I have prayed for thee, he said, that thy faith fail not. I imagine as he was there in that garden, he was praying that their faith would not fail. By the way, God answered that prayer. Oh, perhaps they forsook him in that moment and Peter denied him thrice. But if you read the book of Acts, you'll find that he was restored. And you'll find the great accomplishments that they were able to do as their faith began to flourish and began to grow and it came to a point where uh, the Bible says in Acts 12 that they turned the world upside down. How did they do it? Because they had a Savior that was praying for them. A Savior that encouraged them. Let me ask you, who have you been praying for in this church? Who is it that you've been encouraging through prayer? This morning, we find on the journey to the cross, Christ in prayer. Can I say in our Christian journey as we move forward, may we be Christians of prayer. May we find a place that is calm and quiet and pray. May that prayer be something that is purposeful. A prayer that submits our will to God's will. A prayer that strengthens us to do what God has called us to do.
And may that not be a prayer that we only say once. But let's be persistent in that prayer. Let's, let's pray with some intensity, with some earnestness. And let's encourage one another to do the same. You see, this morning we have seen how important prayer truly is in the Christian life. Without it, accomplishing God's plan for our lives, it's impossible. So how about you this morning? How about it? Will you prepare for your journey in prayer? Sunday, it's the first day of a new week. Why not decide today that prayer is going to be that which, which helps you to move forward, which prepares you to continue on your journey? I want to encourage you this morning, make prayer the priority. Not just of Sunday morning, but the priority of Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh my, if, if we could just have that power in prayer, what do you think it would do for our families? What would it do for our church? You say, Pastor, I don't know. I don't know either, but I'd like to find out. Let's decide this morning on our journey to have prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And, oh, Father, as we examine the example and study the example that you gave us in that garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, that place of prayer, we are challenged this morning that we ourselves would have a time of prayer. Oh, Father, I can confess that many times my life has not displayed that kind of prayer on my journey. Oh, how wonderful to be reminded this morning by the example of our Savior of what it means to be in prayer. The importance of prayer for our journey. So I pray that this morning that you would help us to decide to make prayer the priority of our life. As the pianist plays just one stanza of a, of a hymn, perhaps you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, that's what I need for my journey. To be honest, I've been really close to wanting to quit my journey, Pastor. Things have happened in my life and some stress and circumstances that I really wasn't prepared for because I just hadn't spent the time in prayer. But you know, this morning I'd like to make that decision of making prayer the priority. Would you just pray for me? If, this, if that's your decision, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see those hands. Father, this morning, I saw hands, but you saw hearts. Oh, Father, I pray that this morning we would be able to see you work in our lives individually and see you work in our lives together as a church.
Oh, Father, may the power that we receive through that time of prayer, may it motivate us, may it strengthen us to move forward in our journey for you. Fill us with your spirit, I pray. Help us to apply this message this day in our hearts and minds and in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.